0: banks are in the the moving business not the storage business and this uh twitter debt which was incurred almost a year ago now should have been moved off the balance sheets of these banks a long time ago
1: welcome to the powers that be daily pucks podcast focused on the intersection of wall street washington silicon valley and hollywood and the players who run it all i'm peter Hamby. It's Friday, October 6th. Today, I'm joined by Bill Cohan to talk about how the big banks are feeling these days about Twitter and the billions of dollars worth of debt they're holding as part of Elon Musk's deal to take over the company. As Bill explains, confidence is not the word they're using on Wall Street to describe Elon's faltering social media platform. And later, Dylan Byers and Ben discuss why CNN is in trouble with cable providers for putting its primetime shows on Max, and whether the two sides will strike a deal. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode, The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to The Powers That Be. I'm joined today by Bill Cohan to talk about Twitter and not Elon Musk's backwards cowboy hat, not his calls for more citizen journalism on the Twitter slash X platform, but about this debt, all of this debt, $13 billion of debt that Musk took on to finance the $44 billion acquisition of Twitter slash X last year. Those payments have been coming due. But Bill, uh, CEO Linda Yacarino met this week with a bunch of the banks holding the debt. What do what these banks, based on your reporting and just your insight, and maybe even a little bit of your hunch, think about this debt? Do they think it's worth anything at this point?
0: Well, I'm, I'm sure not only the bankers who wrote the loans, approved the loans, are worried about the value of the debt. Uh, The credit committees that uh, approve those loans are worried about the debt. The regulators are worried about the value of the debt. Everybody's worried about the value of this Twitter debt. Banks are in the the moving business, not the storage business. Mm -hmm. And this uh, Twitter debt, which was incurred almost a year ago now, should have been moved off the balance sheets of these banks a long time ago. Hmm. Okay, so the fact that it hasn't and they still own the debt means that they uh, don't want to sell the debt and they don't want people to know publicly uh, what the value of the debt is. They may have had to um, disclose that and and write it down uh, because their regulator, the Fed, forced them to. Mm -hmm. uh, And they probably then buried that uh, write-off in their financial statements because they viewed it as immaterial, uh, but the losses were probably substantial. So, you know, if you're like Morgan Stanley that owns, I think, a couple billion of this Mm -hmm. 13 billion, you know and you had to write off half of it well that's a billion dollar loss uh, right there and i'm sure they could figure out a way to bury it in their financial statements or maybe they did it over a few quarters or whatever they whatever they did they have not sold the debt it's still on their balance sheet they have not disclosed publicly what they've done with the debt so you know all eyes are on this debt and have been for a long time because it's you know if it's not trading at a, if it's not worth a hundred cents in the dollar which of course it isn't, then the equity of Twitter, the 31 billion of the 44 that was put in, in the form of equity, is Mm -hmm. worthless too. And that means Elon's 24 is worthless and the 7 billion that his friends of Elon put in is worthless too, which of course nobody wants to concede yet, certainly not Elon or any of his friends. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but these are just the facts of life, Peter. And I'm sure Linda Iaccarino's mission to the banks on Thursday uh, was to tell them that everything's going to be okay. That uh, here are the projections, uh, our new projections. Uh, you know, look at all this EBITDA we're going to generate now because we're going to turn X into you know this not only this uh, you know important major social media platform, but you know a, a financial institution. We're going to allow people to you know send each other money. We're going to start a credit card. You know, we're going to do all the things that Elon wanted to do with X. Forever, Mm -hmm. and don't you worry. uh, This debt is going to be money good, and uh, don't sell it, or you know, maybe write it back up again, or you know, tell the Fed all about the good news that you're hearing from me. But it's all just a bit of a charade because that seems like pie in the sky, and and a smart banker will recognize that. I mean, I think it's an important meeting that took place yesterday. We're still waiting to hear some of the details about it, but. You know, these meetings are important for the banks to, you know, normally they're sort of pro forma, especially, you know, when things are going well, but even though they're getting interest payments, the company is not performing well. It's EBITDA is, you know, basically break even and that spells trouble for these banks. And we're talking about big numbers, big losses, and maybe the smartest thing to do uh, would be to sell off uh, the debt. You know, even though it's uh you know only worth fifty cents on the dollar to get rid of it. I know you watched
1: uh Linda's train wreck of a code interview with Julia Borston last week. She said, quote, from an operating cash flow perspective, we are just about break even. It looks like in early twenty twenty-four, we will be turning a profit. That is Yacarino yeah, talking about X. Obviously, this is now a privately held company, so we don't have a lot of visibility into their daily active user number, their revenue, Ebita, whatever. <laughs> Is it your sense from your conversations? Or man, maybe just your your uh, eyeballs that interview at Code was reassuring in any way to bankers about the value of the company?
0: No. If I were a banker, I, I would be furious because that was not a reassuring. She was not a particularly CEO-like. She seemed like a deer in the headlights and defensive And, you know, I don't know why she cares one way or the other that this other fired Twitter guy appeared before her uh, (laughs) ex-Twitter guy. You know, again, she should be above all that. She should be clearly in sync with her boss, which is Elon Musk. I didn't get a sense that she was at all. So, no, that was not a good uh, showing. Now, maybe she'll do better in private. I mean, uh, my friend Kara Swisher says she's uh, you know, usually quite professional and quite impressive. Obviously she wasn't the other day, but maybe in a bank setting, uh, she, she will be, but I don't think she's got a great story to tell here, Peter. And Mm -hmm. I think if I were the banks, I would be very worried. And if I were a banker, I would try to be the first one out of the gate here, uh, Mm -hmm. selling this debt because I'll probably get the best price if I'm the first one to sell it into the market because of scarcity value, if for no other reason. and i I wouldn't be uh, waiting around for the promise of this debt trading up into more value because of something Linda Yacarino said yesterday i I would probably uh, i I mean I, to me, this thing looks like you know it's not being run. For profitability, it's not being run for EBITDA. It's it's uh, it's a vanity project for uh, Elon Musk, and um, that's the way he's running it, and that's the way uh, it's performing. Uh, he doesn't care, uh, mm-hmm. you know. If he if he loses uh, twenty four billion of, of equity, I mean that would pretty much wipe out most people. But his net worth has increased, uh, you know, like close to a hundred billion this year for reasons that. Uh, defy logic, of course, but that doesn't matter. That's what's happened. So, I mean, for him, you know, who cares? You know, if his banks are suffering, what does he care? You know, even if, you know, he pisses them off, I mean, there'll always be other banks seeking to do business with Elon Musk. Speaking of that,
1: you have an interview up in Dry Powder, which everyone should read, with hedge fund legend Bill Ackman, also a publicity hound, as you note, but he has launched a spark this is not a spec; it's a spark. I believe the difference is spark. You don't require upfront investor money to basically get a deal, at least on paper. Is he somebody who might be interested in sniffing around Twitter slash X and maybe buying it or buying some of this debt?
0: Well, I mean, he uh, first of all, he's an investor in Elon's Twitter through his family foundation. He's got a ten million dollar investment in the uh, 31 billion of equity uh so minuscule he usually when he makes an investment of course uh, he would expect to get uh financial information about the company that he's investing in uh, Mm. and he put that provision in the agreement but uh, elon struck it out and he let him get away with it so he doesn't know or, or so he says he doesn't know you know what the financials of x look like which i found kind of amusing Mm. Uh, but he did tell the wall street journal and then it became uh, big news that he uh, would love to buy through his new spark or make an investment in elon's uh x which uh you know that money could be used to buy the debt back at a discount and that would be uh you know accretive to the equity so that Mm. would actually be pretty smart uh you know uh, bill ackman uh, seems to be loving himself uh, some Twitter these days, or X. Uh, he's, he's been all over the, uh, the the social media platform since uh, Elon bought it, and mm-hmm. saying uh, all sorts of somewhat controversial things about various political candidates. You know, he made a big push to try to get Jamie Dimon to run for president. He's thrown his support at various times between uh, behind Robert Kennedy Jr. Mm-hmm. and uh, Vivek. Rasam smani however you pronounce his name uh vivek. vivek um so uh you know bill enjoys it he's got you know, a couple hundred thousand uh, uh followers now three or four hundred thousand so he's enjoying it he likes the uh, direct interaction and it gives him a platform to to float uh, controversial things which he's not afraid mm-hmm. to do so mm-hmm. uh, i think he'd love to buy uh, uh be, you know be partnered with elon on a high profile uh, situation like uh, X although again i don't know that it's a good investment and i don't know that having uh, elon musk as your partner is going to be a good thing and, and and whether or not it could ever turn into a good investment mm-hmm. so i suspect that's not going to happen but it but it did get him a lot of attention and when you're good at getting attention like bill is you know i got to give my take my hat off to him you know he knows how to get attention you know that Interview with the journal led to CNBC interview, led to me, led to you know all these other things happening. So uh, basically, the message is his his spark is open for business, and he wants to do a big deal. So what better way to let the world know for free than to say you want to buy uh, you know Twitter slash X from Elon Musk? Bill, thank you so much. Thank you. When we come
1: back, Dylan Byers is here to talk about CNN and Max. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Caius Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The evening standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy here with Dylan to talk about what else CNN... (laughs) Sorry, Dylan. It
3: never gets old. No, it doesn't.
2: I feel like we're always half apologizing on the podcast for talking about CNN so much, but I I don't need to tell you. It's obviously one of the most fascinating media companies and stories in the industry right now, in part, of course, because they're sort of on the leading edge of all these transformations that are blowing up the TV business in real time. And in fact, CNN is actually doing something pretty interesting right now, which is that it's putting a bunch of its live shows on max, which everyone said for the longest time they couldn't really do because of all these pre-existing rights deals with cable providers. And then CNN just kind of went ahead and did it. And now it seems like they're sort of asking for forgiveness instead of permission. So what are you hearing about this conflict that has erupted between uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and DirecTV?
3: Yeah, well, I think it's probably in the grand scheme of things, uh, not going to amount to much. And let me like just quick preamble. One thing that just sort of occurs to me as we talk about how much we cover CNN is like, it's almost a way of recognizing, it's almost like covering the New York Knicks, right? It's this brand that has this incredible potential, and sort of lives at the very heart of the media industry. So I think even when it's doing when it's down on its luck and sort of going through turbulent, chaotic times it is sort of fascinating, if only because it's still, despite everything it's been to, despite the damage that has been done to it, seems to be something that does, if you could just put it in the right hands, the right ownership, the right leadership, could have immense potential for the industry at large. But anyway, that out of the way, yeah, I, I think... Perhaps speaking to that potential, I think the powers that be at Warner Brothers Discovery decided, as they told me, like, fuck it, we are not going to just run a sort of JV Bush League version of our programming on a streaming service that no one is going to watch. We are going to take the core offering that we have, and we are going to put it on streaming and give people what their executive, their JB Prett described as like the varsity players, right? So you will get Jake Tapper, you will get Wolf Blitzer, you will get Aaron Burnett and Anderson Cooper and Caitlin Collins and Abby Phillip at the same time that you're getting them on the linear feed. And indeed, this is sort of where we all know the industry is trending, right? I mean, you think ESPN and Fits and Starts, is going to be simulcasting more of their best programming, their Monday Night Football, their college football playoffs, their NBA, their MLB, on ESPN+, Plus, which will inevitably just become ESPN's the streaming network. And there are other people who've done this too. I, at NBC, you've got Today Show, Squawk Box, Morning Joe. These are shows that are simulcast on NBC's streaming platform. So this is where the industry is headed. But... As many media executives warned me at the time this was announced, it does sort of fly in the face of all conventional wisdom about what you are allowed to do if you are a programmer, what you're allowed to do
2: with respect to your agreements with the cable providers or the MVPDs. Yeah, right. I mean, it it makes total sense why Directv would be upset here, and you know they sent a letter to Warner Brothers Discovery basically saying that you know you, you can't offer CNN as part of the streaming package that's going to violate the contract they already have. Why are they paying all this money in carriage fees to WBD and then CNN's going to go and ahead and present this simulcast version of their content elsewhere on streaming. What is David Zaslav's counter argument to that?
3: So right, and you know, I think in the eyes of Warner Brothers Discovery, they feel as though this is just sort of posturing by DirecTV, but it's predictable posturing and and it's something we saw coming. Down the line, and presumably the folks at Cox and Charter, all of whom I've reached out to, they've not gotten back to me, but presumably they have the same questions. You know, if you're going to stream this and sell this as a part of your Max package, why are we still paying for what we thought was some semblance of exclusivity for this live news programming? I think the view that David Zaslov and his colleagues at Warner Brothers Discovery take is. In this moment, when we are pivoting to streaming and when we're, you know, in the sort of post Disney charter landscape, I think the relationship between the media companies and the providers is changing and is in flux. And there is going to need to be, and we are going to have to anticipate new sorts of agreements. And so, yes, they would say everything we are doing now, we we are fully within our rights to do it. And we're confident about that, but I think what Directv and others know is that somewhere down the line, as all of the as as these arrangements are changing, people are going to have to come back to the table and agree on sort of new sorts of terms for what this looks like to make it profitable or beneficial for everybody involved. And so, I guess what I see in this Directv letter is a little bit of that posturing, is a little bit of saying, "Unless you make this work for us too." We're going to make a stink about it and i don't think that stink is going to is going to somehow force wbd to decide that cnn max has to be less than what it is today or that they have to remove some of the programming that they've put on there i do just think this is Directv's way of saying we're paying attention we care and you know we want to get our cut of this too and I, and i imagine just given the way the industry is going that they will find a way to make that work for everybody
2: well, obviously, we, we just saw this play out with Disney versus Charter, which is another content provider versus cable provider fight, um, where both sides sort of compromised or capitulated in various ways. Charter agreed to pay the higher carriage fees that Disney was asking for, but Disney now has to give charter customers access to reduced price streaming products like Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN Plus. So I imagine there is potentially a similar deal in the future between WBD, CNN and DirecTV that could make all the parties happy.
3: Yeah, and and I don't want to understate Like none of this is really ideal, right? I mean, one sort of analogy that I've long used when when talking about the shift from linear to streaming is sort of that linear is this Titanic that is headed for the iceberg. And these streaming networks are speedboats and they will get you off the Titanic and they are smaller and they are nimbler. But by virtue of that, they also, they're not the sort of revenue juggernauts that the linear business was right, so they will be smaller, there will be less resources. And we are, we've sort of arrived at this moment. If you look at what ESPN is doing, you look at what CNN is trying to do, we have arrived at this moment at which the media companies are trying to simultaneously, they're basically trying to keep one foot on the Titanic and one foot on the speedboat, and they're trying to simultaneously reap the benefits of their linear business and continue to draw as much money from that as they can while also acknowledging that like the iceberg is getting very close and it is, it is very much time to just jump full throttle into streaming. And I think what the providers are saying is we don't want to get left behind in that arrangement. And so you look at Disney charter and you have an agreement where any new subscribers to charter are going to get access to things like ESPN plus and Disney plus Plus. And again, that's not exactly ideal. I think in in ideal circumstances, Disney would just have those subscribers come over en masse to be like straight Disney subscribers without getting it through Charter. Whatever the case, this is all sort of messy and people are still sort of figuring it out. But I think everyone is just sort of like holding on for dear life here and, and trying to keep this thing going, keep the revenue going as long as they can. And that's going to become harder and harder as the linear business continues to to decline.
2: Well, you know, this is part of what's so funny to me when you think about these companies sort of whistling past the graveyard or, or at least pretending to. You know, there was this quote from Warner Brothers that they they put out in the media saying that they weren't trying to poach direct TV customers. They're just trying to, quote, reach new audiences, which is like, you know, it's, yes. it's kind of true. But I mean, it's really only kind of true. I mean, there is a significant number of people who still have cable mostly just to watch live news and live sports. And Warner Brothers, Max, all these other streamers, they are actively renegotiating and maneuvering specifically because they want to move those things to streaming. They do want to poach those people. So it is a little deceptive to go out and say that this product's not going to take away viewers. It's targeting a different audience. It is totally part of this larger project to make streaming a complete substitute for what you can get on cable.
3: Yeah. So what those guys would say, the guys at WBD and, and other companies, I'm sure, would say, all of the people who are watching, the vast majority of people who are watching Lanier, and this is borne up by the ratings, are 60, 70, 80 years old. And streaming reaches younger audiences. And you're like, okay, well, sure. But also the reason streaming reaches younger audiences is because you've made it available to them and you've given them a better option than subscribing to cable, right? So it's not, to your point, it's not exactly fair to say, well, these are just two different audiences. So you know, and never the twain shall meet and, and they don't compete. It's like, no, 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 we're,
2: we're all in, it's all the same bucket you're drawing from in the grand scheme of things. Dylan, got to leave it there, but thank you as always. This is a totally fascinating battle to watch unfold and we'll, uh, we'll have you back on to talk about it all. Okay. Thank you, Ben. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the powers that be as a reminder, the powers that be is the official podcast of puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.